Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 47, we discuss what Fox Sports and how they reported on one of the biggest weeks in US soccer history, my experiences with YouTube TV and whether it's a winner for soccer fans or not, latest TV rights news for Serie A and La Liga, as well as our thoughts on Facebook Live's latest coverage of the UEFA Champions League. Plus, we have a ton of uh, letters from you, listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by Kartik Krishnaya. Now, Kartik, uh, for those listeners who are perhaps new to this podcast, uh, what we do is we dive deep into the analysis and coverage of soccer in the United States in terms of whether it's from television, streaming, etc., often talking about some of the, uh, the television coverage, the commentators, the the highs and lows and um this past seven days Kartik has been uh, it's been surreal in many ways there's been so much to talk about um last week's podcast we did which was talk- talking about the the darkest day in u.s soccer history uh, i think it was our most downloaded podcast ever and we have a ton of feedback that we'll get into in a little bit but what's some of your initial thoughts in terms of just the last seven days just to kind of uh, uh before we get into the feature topic later in the podcast Oh, it's just been a whirlwind. I mean, I, I'll admit, uh, and I think we'll get into this when we talk about what we watched this week. I watched less football than I wanted to, less football than I normally do in a big weekend of club football from Europe and, and with MLS uh, season wrapping up and playoffs coming and, and USL, same thing, and NWSL final was because I was on the phone constantly. There was so much chatter going on in U.S. soccer uh, since the result against Trinidad and Tobago and the elimination from 2018 World Cup. And Chris, I will so stress this, that more and more people want to talk about the dirty laundry in Major League Soccer, USL, NASL, our pro leagues, NWSL, and get it all out in the open. So uh, people are on the phone with me constantly pumping me stuff about those leagues that really has nothing to do or is just kind of uh, moderately related to, to the USSF situation and the failure of the USSF and the U.S. men's national team. But I think there's just now a desire by many people in the game my sources are all in the game at clubs, in leagues, etc., to um, air a lot of dirty laundry, use uh, people in the media like myself to get messages out, to, to, to get stories out so that they can start spinning them. And, and it's, a, it's a spin cycle similar to uh, when I read Howie Kurtz's book, the former media critic from The Washington Post, similar to what happened right during the beginning of the Clinton 
Lewinsky scandal, where uh, people in, in the White House, people around the White House, people on the other side uh, were all contacting reporters. We didn't have Twitter back then. We Blogs were not really a factor, but contacting people to, to, to create narratives. And they might be narratives that were not directly related to the specific scandal, or in this case, the U.S. losing the Trinidad and Tobago. But that's why it's been such a crazy, crazy 10 days now. Yeah, in the featured topic, a little bit later in this podcast, we will get into talking about what Fox is doing uh, in terms of uh, making sure there's no dirty laundry out there, but also doing a great uh, job for uh, public relations for USSF. But before we get into that, Kartik, let's talk about what we've been watching this past week. Yeah, uh, so uh, I've watched ESPN FC all week, Sebastian Salazar, to me, when he hosts, he's the voice of U.S. soccer, of the U.S. soccer fan. The frustration, probably each and every one of you listening to this podcast, with a few exceptions, if you're a U.S. national men's national team fan or an American, are feeling about the game in this country. I think he's the best embodiment of it. Which is part of the reason he can't work for Fox. Right? We'll get into that in the feature topic of the week. But uh, boy, I, I tell you, Seb Salazar has been on fire. He's been fantastic. He he uh, he never fails to impress me, and his points are spot on the way he directs the conversation because of course he hosts that show he has to be the guy uh, pushing the buttons of the uh, of the analysts of the co-commentators of, uh, and the guy that sets the tone for how they discuss the failures within U.S. soccer, and he's doing it brilliantly. So hats off to him. Uh, that, that's first and foremost what I want to mention. I watched Stuttgart and Cologne. Uh, Ross Fletcher and Eric Winalda teamed on Fox Soccer. Uh, excuse me, on Fox uh, FS1. This was uh, interesting because it was Eric Winalda's first public appearance since the um, U.S. debacle in Trinidad and Tobago. His lone reference to the game was saying how um, – Disappointing it is for Christian Pulisic, top American player, superstar, Borussia Dortmund, to not be able to, to, to play in a World Cup at the age of 19. Uh, so that was really his only reference to it. I can tell you, Chris, uh, and I've tweeted this so it's not really news anymore, that my sources are telling me when Alda is making preparations to run. Um, and that includes leaving Fox Soccer, at least temporarily, during the campaign. Yeah. So or not Fox Soccer, Fox, excuse me, Fox Sports. I still am calling it Fox Soccer, but Fox Sports. So keep an eye on that one. That's not official, but that's what I've been told by multiple people, that he's uh, in the process of leaving Fox for the time being. Uh, the election is in February. Um, uh, yeah, a few a, a few things about this match. So, so at halftime, I, w- I was in the same spot as you, Kartik, in terms of listening to the broadcast to see what they would say. And with Ross Fletcher commentating, Eric Ronaldo co-commentating, at halftime, uh, it, they had a, a, a quick news section, and they mentioned that Bruce Arena had stepped down. Of course, this is uh, last Friday. And then Fletcher added the news about Galati saying that he will not step down uh, as USSF president. But there was no editorial, editorializing from Fletcher uh, nor Winalda. It just went right on to the commercial break and back to the game, uh, which was not surprising. It was just disappointing. I mean, there was an opportunity there for Winalda to say something. But, of course, I'm sure uh, time constraints, but also probably not the, the right vehicle. And not yeah, the right time. I don't think I don't think it's the right vehicle, and I, I think obviously we're going to get into this in the future topic. I think that there's a difference of opinion probably between the Fox brass and where Winalda is going with this. And 
Look, there's a there's an underground counterculture in U.S. soccer of, of people who are lower division fans, people who are pro-rel advocates, people who want solidarity payments at the youth level. It seems like uh, there's been a lot of talk in the last week of who could run. As we're getting uh, now six days on from that game, those forces seem to be coalescing behind the idea of Eric Winalda. So uh, he, I don't think he can say anything on air, mm-hmm. quite honestly, right. in fairness to him. Yeah, this this game actually was really entertaining, though, Kartik. Uh, this, especially at the end, the end was like a feverish ending to this game. It was uh, for anyone who missed it, uh, fantastic uh, game between Stuttgart and, and Cologne. And uh, one interesting thing too that came out of this was the video review. Uh, they had a video review late in the game. Uh, it took about two and a half minutes of delay of game to get the penalty uh, question resolved. And it came at such a cri- critical point in the game when the, the teams were tied 1-1 at the 90-minute mark. And uh, in the end, it was a good call by the video assistant uh, referee and, and the referee himself. And, uh, but as Winalda said at the time, he, said, he, he just said it, it took way too long which it did, but at least they came out with the, the right uh, response. Yeah, I, I, I'm concerned about the video replay in Germany because I think they're taking too long. I think the next day um, we'll get to the game, uh, Red Bull, uh, RB Leipzig, and, and uh, Borussia Dortmund, but I think it took entirely too long, both of the reviews in that game. Now, ultimately, they got both calls correct, and obviously they had some uh, sending off incidents also in that match, but the two penalty calls – but it just takes entirely too long, whereas in Major League Soccer, and we talked about this weeks ago uh, or months ago, actually, when I, I met with Howard Webb, that um, MLS has a, a much more um, a, a, a process that expedites it and the delays aren't as long. That having been said, I think they're getting, they're, they're getting the calls uh, absolutely correct in Germany, whereas in MLS they're still missing things because they're under the director from Howard Webb to, 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 to be quick and, and not to review certain things if you if you pass a certain point in um, the flow of play, mm-hmm. but there's there's pros and cons to that though too. We saw what was it the right. Red Bulls was it I don't know about a month or two ago, and there was a blatant call and yeah 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 it was Red Bulls yeah right right. But the, the one thing I'll add uh, on this one, Kartik, on this game before you uh, go back to you in terms of what you've been watching is that uh, Ross Fletcher who's the commentator on this one. He just worked from time to time for Fox Sports. He's got to be included in Fox's World Cup commentary team. He's got so much energy, so much passion in his voice. And uh, to me, he's one of the the rising stars at Fox. And I really hope that uh, Fox focuses on quality uh, of commentators and not focusing on nationality, not just putting in Americans in there just because they're American, but putting the best of the best in there. And um, I think those hats off to Ross Fletcher, and let's hope that uh, Fox makes the right decision and puts him on the World Cup team for next summer. Yeah, I agree. We don't know what Fox is going to do in terms of that. Uh, the, the talk was that they were going to go All-American, but who knows at this point, given uh, – U.S. is not qualification for the World Cup. So moving on, uh, Derek Ray made his debut, speaking of, of voices we're familiar with, uh, and someone Fox probably should have hired to do Bundesliga and World Cup and all of that, but they didn't. Uh, makes his debut as an NBC commentator teamed with uh, Phil Neville live from uh, Anfield. This was one of the worst matches of football I've seen in, in uh, some time. Uh, Mourinho basically parked two buses in this match. <laughs> was awful. And then said, no, but think about it after the match. He said, well, I was waiting for Klopp to make a substitution. Uh, that's the onus you need to play football? 
Come on. I, I was actually entertained by this game, Kartik. And, and I know it shocks you probably and, and some of the, the, the listeners. But I, I thought it was a really entertaining game. Liverpool started off really strong. Um, it was a back and forth. Yes, there were no goals in this game. But uh, in terms of uh, the chess match and in terms of um, the level of standard play, the passing, the movement off the ball, uh, it was to, for me, it was a joy to watch. And I actually enjoyed it. And I thought it was pretty intense. Um, Yes, United could have perhaps probably pushed push harder, but at the end of the day, it's, an, it's a point uh, away at Anfield against one, one of the big guns. So I, I don't think um, Mourinho is, should be disappointed at all in this one. Yeah, I, I mean, it depends on your perspective because I think Liverpool is in a is in a bad place right now in terms of well, maybe that's been corrected in Champions League, but they've they've been they've been wobbling. They haven't won a Premier League game in a while, if, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think they've won since they beat Arsenal, and they have a lot of draws. So they uh, they were for the they were there for the taking, and and in a derby like this, uh, you're expected to go out and, and, and try and play football. So. Uh, we'll see, but it it wasn't a uh, wasn't a particularly entertaining game for me. So then after Carter, that, wait, wait, wait. So I got three more things to add to this one. One is that um, uh, Carlo Martino uh, gave a speech, kind of uh, I think pregame actually. I woke up early on this one, yeah, uh, and and talked about the U.S. So- U.S. soccer situation and uh, how he was disappointed that Sunil Galati didn't step down and how he was uh, he should should be accountable. Uh, I thought it was a pretty um, passionate speech, um, but nothing new, nothing, no new thoughts on that one. So I was a little bit disappointed. Um, the second thing is that... Oh, well, let me point out, though, that Ravi Musto made a very good point that I have made on... I've been probably on 20 podcasts, 20 podcasts or radio shows since the U.S. was eliminated. Ravi Musto is the only person on television who has made the point that I've made on a couple of these shows about the age of the U.S. team and the fact that he said uh, 11 of the 12 guys on the bench were over the age of 30. I hadn't actually counted them as he had, but that is an extremely important point to tell you why this set of U.S. players who did accomplish a lot in the 2010 and 2014 cycles can't anymore. They've just uh, there's a missing gap. There's a gap in generations, as we talked about last week on this show of U.S. players. So Musto made that point right after Martino gave his speech. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great point, too. And he only had maybe like a minute or a minute and a half to get all his points addressed um, after Martino's rant and, uh, and and Musto did a great job there in terms of pointing that out. Uh, the second thing Kartik on this one was that right before the match started, I thought it was a really great use of spider cam. It was kind of the, the camera was like kind of floating around the pitch, around the center circle, really kind of diving in right close into the, the action on the pitch. And I thought that was a really um, fantastic use of a camera there, uh, really pulled you into the match. And then third and finally, you mentioned Derek Gray. Of course, he did a fantastic job. But for me, it felt like a Champions League game, Kartik. I mean, part of it's probably nostalgia and memories of Derek Gray doing uh, Champions League games for ESPN and ESPN2 back in the day. But in terms of the the match atmosphere, the the two quality teams on the pitch, and then Derek Gray calling it. Phil Neville, I thought, did a fantastic job as co commentator. And even though it was a Saturday morning, early early doors. It felt like a Champions League game on on a Tuesday or, or Wednesday evening. Yeah, that's that's a great observation. With uh, with Derek Ray calling those games, we've always thought that those games are big events. When he's called games like that for an American audience or for an international audience uh, uh, based as with a U.S. based network, so uh, a great point. Uh, moving on, the the 10 a.m. Eastern time kickoffs. There were a number of them. Uh, I, 
with uh, flipping games and flipping to the Bundesliga games. So I'm not going to get into specifics there. But uh, NBC Studio was uh, uh, was was pretty good. Yeah, so I, I watched the uh, Borussia Dortmund uh, RBL game, RB Leipzig game on FS2. It was bumped to FS2 because college football loved the game. Uh, entertaining game between two really good sides of two attack-minded sides. It was uh, interesting. RBL seemed to play better when Keita came off. Uh, uh, Navi Keita obviously is, is moving on uh, from the club to Liverpool after the season. As we know, they've agreed a fee already. There were two pretty controversial uh, video replays for penalty kicks in this game. Both were, I think, awarded correctly after much delay. Game ended 10 v 10. A really entertaining match. Uh, but then let's uh, focus on the game on NBC at the same time, which was Arsenal, Watford, Arlo White, and Graham Lusso calling that match. And uh, once again, Arsenal, very, very uh, disappointing, uh, very um, very mentally fragile, fra- fragile, I would say, away from home. So uh, that was all dissected again in, in goal zone uh, with Robbie Musto and Kyle Martino and Rebecca Lowe after the match. Now, thankfully, there was a goal zone, right? A lot of matches uh, in, in recent uh, weeks, there has been no goal zone, which would be the case on Sunday. We'll get to that in a few moments. But uh, that was a pretty good goal zone pro- program. Um, so... Uh, later that day, Atleti and Barca had an issue with Fubo on this. Uh, uh, I didn't have good picture quality the entire match. Uh, yep. And say, yeah, they, they're having bandwidth issues, right? And they they sent out an apology for the previous Tuesday. Uh, this wasn't really acceptable either. Yeah, I, I've had the same thing to Kartik this past week. Is um, I'm not sure what happens in terms of um, after the uh, the US. Uh, men's national team game on, on those World Cup qualifiers. But it seems in many ways that they've kind of, uh, I don't know, pulled back the bandwidth or, or kind of reduced the quality because um, this past week I've been watching more Sling TV uh, than Fubo TV, which is uh, the first time in a while that that's happened. So what, I, what I've been tending to do is, uh, because I'm a cord cutter, is uh, split my time between Fubo and Sling TV. So there's some coverage of games uh, that Fubo has that Sling doesn't. Um, and one of them is Fox Deportes, as one example, or Fox Soccer Plus. Um, but most of the stuff I've been watching on, on Sling, Sling isn't perfect by, by any means either, but it, the quality and the consistency uh, has been much, much better there than with Fubo. So Fubo looks like they're going through some, uh, I don't know, transition or kind of a, a period where they're just trying to get things in order in terms of uh, streaming, which is, which is a shame because it's been such a great service up, in, up until now. Yeah, it's not ideal, obviously. It wasn't uh, uh, wasn't really acceptable from my perspective because I count on them for being uh, in WSL final in Orlando. I would have been at the match if Orlando had been in the final. Uh, they had lost the previous week to Portland, as we talked about last week. So uh, watch it on television. Great broadcast from Lifetime. Really fantastic bumper to bumper, end to end broadcast. And also have to state that they're able to fulfill all their pregame and postgame commitments in a way that we don't see for necessarily for Major League Soccer when they're when they're sque- and for the NASL actually in that matter too when NASL matches on uh, on uh, BN and USL matches on ESPNU because uh, you're on general sports channels. Lifetime has set aside a block for this game of uh, four hours, basically, for coverage of the championship and did a fantastic job. So that was really good in terms of the broadcast. Now, as far as the game was concerned, it was um, 
basically like a tackle football game. I would describe it. It was an overly physical game, very chippy, uh, very nasty. I I, I know, um, I know the reaction of um, how people are feeling in North Carolina about the match. Uh, Those around that club uh, feeling like the referee lost control of the match early in the match and that uh, she uh, allowed way too much to go on and that there were players who should have been sent off uh, that weren't sent off and that there were essentially uh, you you talk about you have 10 field players if you're Portland you have 10 yellow cards to go around right Mm -hmm. and that uh, they were they really dictated the tempo of the game really sad because uh, Portland's a real uh, is an outstanding team keeping the ball in possession they were a team with a lot of bright players. North Carolina is very good on the break. And, and I think Portland's game plan, Mark Parsons' game plan, was to prevent uh, North Carolina from ever having the opportunity to break quickly and, and, and start playing on the counter. So what you had was a lot of cynical fouling, hard tackles, uh, not only fouling, uh, uh, but you know, really hard tackles to make sure uh, uh, no advantage is played, right? And there's no break. And uh, it really, really ruined the match for me. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, Chris, I think this is what's happening more and more in cup finals. As the stakes get higher, no one wants to concede a goal. Every uh, Both managers know maybe you can get the penalties. Uh, and in the case of Portland, they took a 1-0 lead. And after that, it was miserable. Yeah, I, I think it went both ways, though, Kartik. I mean, to me, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of the North Carolina fans are complaining, but uh, I saw some pretty heavy I tackles. I've been in my year all week, so <laughs> maybe yeah. I'm a little. Well, I, I saw one heavy tackle in particular on Tobin Heath, and uh, which should have been a straight yellow, and the referee, I don't think, even called a foul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I but. I'm, I'm, I'm okay, though, with, with it being kind of a very physical final. Um, in some ways, that's what I expect. Both teams, you mean, laying it out on the line, going in with everything in terms of trying to win this game. It was um, not the prettiest game, but it was it was still entertaining. It was still it's, absorbing. I, I, I watched, I watched uh, most of it, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I've watched both these teams all season and have really enjoyed what I've seen in terms of the way they play football. And in this match, they weren't doing that, right? It was just, mm-hmm. uh, it was physical, it was bone crunching, it was, um, it, it was that. But that's the way Cup finals are. I mean, we're getting used to this around the world, where teams are these bright, uh, slick passing sides, and then all of a sudden they get to a final, and you have to play differently. And and I think that's what happened with both teams, both coaches, both Parsons and Riley had their teams uh, playing more physically than they normally do. Yep. Yeah. It reminded me of some uh, Nigel uh, De Jong uh, World Cup finals. Yeah. No, it did kicks. remind me of that. That, <laughs> anal- that analogy has been made all week by many people we've talked about that the, that Portland played like Holland. In that- <laughs> Which Holland almost won that one. So it's. Right. It, uh... Okay, so what else, Carter? Anything else uh, that you watched this past weekend? Oh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, um, the next day, Premier League, uh, and uh, there was no goal zone after the games, which was very disappointing uh, uh, on NBCSN. Uh, then went on to watch the uh, Red Bull New York-Atlanta uh, game. What a game for a nil-nil game. What a fantastic game. Yep. Uh, Tata Martino and Jesse Marsh, I think two of the leading candidates uh, to be the U.S. men's national team coach. But what, a, what an enjoyable game, really, of football. Uh, but there was this kind of inauthentic rant from Alexi Lalas about U.S. soccer at halftime where he was clearly reading off a teleprompter. I got the sense Rob Stone was a little bit um, 
uncomfortable with it uh, just based on his body language. And uh, we'll talk more about that in our future topic of the week. Um, then Paraguay, USA, which uh, I thought uh, uh, the U.S. was simply brilliant from the U-17s on Monday. Uh, the David Wagner interview with uh, uh, with Roger Bennett, which was really good, really well done. Uh, and the Huddersfield promoted special. And then uh, West Brom and Leicester, which proved to be uh, Craig Shakespeare's last match. Um, and uh, uh, a lot of... Um, a lot of analysis on the pregame show on NBC of um, uh, of Mourinho's tactics over the weekend, and and again Arsenal. Uh, Lee McHugh was hosting. He brought Steve Bauer on uh, from the BBC studios in, in London, and, and uh, Bauer said, "Hey, this is this is Jose. I mean, this is what we mm-hmm. expect." Uh, you know, it was a little bit lamenting it, right? I mean, we we we'd had uh, six or seven weeks of good, nice pretty football from Man United, but the first time they play another team, another top team, especially away from home, uh, they go back to their default. So that was, uh, I think, disappointing to everyone. Okay, so what I've been watching this past week, uh, other than what you've mentioned already, Kartik, uh, Swansea against Huddersfield on Saturday and uh, used uh, NBC Sports Gold on this one. Uh, No problems with that at all. Uh, Dortmund Leipzig, we mentioned. Uh, my my week, game of the weekend was uh, Juventus against Lazio, uh, the Turin derby. And uh, I watched the last, actually, I didn't watch the whole game. I think I was at a, a AYSO game, but I watched, uh, I think, the last, probably the second half of the game on BN Sports and with the world fe- feed for the broadcast uh, commentary. And, and again, though, too, Kartik, similar to the Stuttgart uh, Cologne game, there was a last minute uh, VAR incident. Uh, there was a penalty awarded by Juve for a chance to tie the game. But uh, Dybala misses it, and then Lazio picks up a huge 2-1 win at Juventus. Uh, but a really uh, thoroughly entertaining, high-quality football match. And if um, anyone who caught the last 10 minutes or so, uh, it was uh, another fantastic match this past weekend. Like you, Kartik, I watched uh, Atleti against Barcelona. I uh, only watched the first half of this one because I had another AYSO game to go to for one of my, uh, one of my kids. But uh, what a, another entertaining match in terms of the technical skills, the ability. Uh, Griezmann still um, one of the best players in the world and uh, just a really emotional game. Just uh, one of my favorites from this past weekend. Uh, so the Brighton against Everton match on, I think it was a Sunday morning, a uh, really boring first half, but a feverish en- ending to the game, uh, and John Champion and Phil Neville calling that one. Uh, then I watched the uh, Inter Milan against Milan derby, another entertaining game from Serie A, and uh, commentary by um, Andres uh, Codero and uh, Matteo Bernetti, and uh, again, a lot of uh, late drama with a penalty for Inter uh, that was scored by Icardi, but just really entertaining match analysis actually after the game too, this time from Thomas Rongen, uh, Gary Bailey, and uh, yeah, I, 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 I have to say, my plan was to watch this game, and I didn't because of the uh, the problems with Fubo the previous day. So hopefully um, I don't miss another good Serie A game because of, of Fubo's issues. Mm-hmm. Yep, I watched uh, the Leicester against West Brom game on the Monday. This one was interesting to me, uh, Kartik, especially because of uh, the job that Martin Tyler and Danny Higginbotham did in terms of just uh, focusing on Boas Myhill in terms of the injury he picked picked up. And it was a bizarre string of events after that because he decided to play on for the entire second half being injured. He couldn't kick the ball, or he he could kick it, but with a lot of pain. And um, they decided not to bring on the, uh, the third goalkeeper, 
uh, kind of, a, I guess, a teenager, and Bo's Myhill stayed in the game. So it was an interesting game in terms of just focusing on the goalkeeper and focusing on what West Brom was doing to try to prevent the goalkeeper having to touch the ball. And what a poor job that Leicester did, I, I thought, in terms of not capitalizing on, on that and not giving it... 45 minutes of peppering the goalkeeper. Uh, West Brom did a fantastic job of uh, keeping the uh, Leicester forwards back. And with about five to ten minutes to go in the game, uh, it was almost as if Leicester was settling for a draw. And he had uh, Ben Chilwell, uh, he threw the ball into the crowd to waste time. Even though Leicester's playing at home, even though it's 1-1, even though there's five minutes to go in the game and Leicester's on top, he was just trying to waste time. And I thought it was just a really bizarre thing to do of course, uh, yeah, the game held crazy. on for 1-1, and then, of course, what, 24 hours later, Craig Shakespeare w- was sacked. Watch the England-Japan uh, U-17 game. Uh, England won this one on penalty kicks. I will say, Kartik, that uh, I've been really impressed by Fox's coverage of the World Cup uh, U-17 tournament. I haven't watched many of the games, but I can't remember any time in the past where there's been any broadcaster in the United States that's given uh, this uh, tournament this much attention, but also this much uh, professionalism, and also showing these games on FS1s and FS2s. Um, And it's a smart move uh, by Fox, given how well the U.S. has done uh, thus far. And, of course, they've got that big game Saturday, England against uh, USA on, on Saturday morning, which is, I think, going to be on FS2, I believe. It is on FS2 at 10.30 a.m. Okay. Eastern. And then last but not least, Kartik, uh, the Champions League uh, coverage this week. So uh, a couple of things here. I, I know that you've been busy with uh, everything going on in, in USSF and uh, NASL and MLS, etc., so Tuesday's Champions League pregame show, of course, we had the return of Grant Wall from his sabbatical. So when Grant Wall comes back, then we get U.S. soccer news for about 10 minutes, which I, I don't mind that by itself, but I, I do mind it when it's supposed to be a, a Champions League pregame show. Um, so they had a U.S. Uh, soccer MLS news segment from Grant Wall. But they did bring up the, uh, the topic of the position of uh, Sunil Galati, but it was just Wall reporting the news. He was saying in terms of uh, that Galati was, was, uh, gonna, was probably going to stay. Um, and, but there was no editorial, editorializing in terms of uh, that topic. It was just kind of, okay, here's the news. Let's move on. Uh, watched Real, Real Madrid against Spurs. Uh, Wednesday, same thing again to Champions League pregame show. And again, uh, Grant Wall was on talking about this time, I think, about Columbus. Uh, Benfica against Manchester United. I had the chance, um, actually the choice of watching this one either on fa- uh, Facebook Live or Fox Deportes. I ended up watching most of this game on Fox Deportes, uh, even though I don't understand a word of Spanish. Now, the first few minutes of Facebook I did watch, uh, the commentary was, was much better than in the past. You had Stu Holden uh, taking the main commentator role and then Mario Melchiot uh, co-commentating. Uh, the video quality is excellent, uh, but I don't like having all the scrolling comments on the side of the screen. But at the end of the day, I think it's um, – for the Facebook Live uh, broadcast, I would still love it if they just used the world, world feed for the commentator and then had the Stu Holdens and Mary Melchiotts and Rachel Bonettas providing the kind of pre-match, half-time, and post-match analysis. Um, it's supposed to be more conversational. It's supposed to be more laid back. Um, but to me, it just dilutes the quality of the broadcast. And especially with uh, Benfica against Manchester United, uh, you would think those would get massive numbers on Facebook Live. 
But the numbers on this one actually were surprisingly low. It was about 18,000 was what it maxed out at. Um, in comparison, I think the PSG buy-in uh, game was about 45,000. And um, some of the other games, too, had, had some higher numbers. But this one had one of the lowest numbers. So I, I, I really kind of look at that in terms of just uh, poor promotion and poor marketing uh, by Fox and Man United and probably Benfica, too, in terms of getting the word out that this was going to be on Facebook Live and not on FS1 or FS2. And then, um, yeah, so I ended up watching the game on Fox Supporters, and then you had uh, Claudio Suarez and uh, John Laguna uh, do the commentary on this one. But uh, pretty entertaining match. wasn't the, the greatest one, but uh, I did enjoy watching it on Fox Supporters. Now, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news, and let me have you kick it off. Yeah, so uh, as as we uh, kind of alluded to earlier, Kyle Martino uh, had a, a lot to say about the U.S. men's national team before uh, the kickoff of Liverpool and Manchester United. Uh, he's decided to stay with NBC instead of running for USSS president. Uh, and Sports Illustrated has revealed that Landon Donovan is strongly considering running for the position. Uh, Donovan will be one of the star co-commentators uh, for Fox at the World Cup next summer. Uh, Martino not running is a bummer to some folks I, I talked to. There was a lot of hope that he has. Um, I, well, I don't want to get into Kyle Martino's entire biography, but he's very well connected uh, via via his family, via marriage in, in Hollywood, as well as uh, uh, with some political folks and, and political commentators and Wall Street people. Uh, so there was some thought that he would be the star kind of ex-player guy with a presence, as we know on television, really one of the best uh, analysts out there of, of the sport and uh, would be able to bring some gravitas to the position and also be able to raise money for the U.S. Soccer Federation. Uh, but he is not running for uh, Federation President Landon Donovan, strongly considering a run. Uh, that is something I'm sure we'll discuss uh, uh, at, a, at a future time. Yeah, actually, maybe in the future topic of the week. Um, on this one, though, Kartik, I mean, to me, uh, I, I mean, I respect Carlo Martino as as a player and as a broadcaster, but I just thought it was a strange one because, um, to me, no one was really considering that Carlo Martino would, would run for office. So I'm wondering whether Kyle or NBC Sports offered Bleacher Report an exclusive saying, okay, he was thinking about running, but he decided not to run, so let's go ahead and run a story about that. Um, yeah, the people I was, I was talking to, his name kept coming up during the course of the, the late last week and, and over the weekend. I wouldn't say he was the leading candidate of folks looking for uh, a, a kind of a presentable mainstream alternative to Sunil Gulati, uh, but um, his name was certainly circulating, and maybe some of those same folks are the ones turning to Landon Donovan now as a potential uh, candidate uh, which, of course, Sports Illustrated, Grant Waller reporting. Uh, as I said earlier in the show, Eric Ronaldo represents a very different set of supporters, uh, the counterculture, if you will, uh, of American soccer, uh, the mainstream people in the Federation, mainstream people in the game and in this country don't, don't want Ronaldo for the most part as the Federation president. And they probably are at this point thinking Galati is damaged. I shouldn't say probably. I've been talking to a lot of people, as you mentioned. I missed Champions League games both days, including the Man City game. Had it on, but wasn't paying attention because I I was getting so many phone calls between um, USSF politics, the Columbus situation, the NASL situation, the USL, all of this that uh, been on the phone nonstop for a couple of days. And, and I, I do think that there are people who are in the establishment who realize they're going to have to move Galati out of there. Um, 
and they're trying to figure out the the cleanest way to do it uh, and, and somehow a way to keep him involved and keep those who support him involved. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes, but the universal thought among that set of people is they don't want Eric Ronaldo, and maybe they're fearful he's going to win. So they're trying to move some chess pieces. That's important to note. In uh, TV rights news, uh, La Liga president Javier Tabas says that the process of selling international rights for La Liga is on hold right now due to the Catalan crisis and the question whether Barcelona will stay, stay in the league or not. The tendering process concerns the rights to broadcast La Liga matches in Europe and various Asian countries such as India and Singapore. It doesn't factor for the U.S. because BN Sports has the La Liga rights through until the end of the 2019-2020 season. In other news, IMG has doubled Serie A's income from international TV rights. IMG has acquired the rights internationally for $437 million per season. IMG will now go ahead and try to broker the deals with different uh, TV providers worldwide. Now, this one includes the U.S. because uh, BN Sports has the U.S. media rights to Serie A through the end of the 2017-18 season. So I'm sure that IMG, if they, if they haven't started it already, I'm sure they're going to be doing it very uh, soon in terms of shopping those rights around and seeing if there's anybody else out there who would like to bid against uh, BN Sports for those. Now, the new figure for uh, Serie A, in terms of that $437 million, it places Serie A third in Europe for international rights after the Premier League. Uh, the Premier League gets $1.5 billion a year. Uh, the Spanish League, $750 million a year. And ahead of the German League, the Bundesliga, uh, at $282 million. Okay, uh, moving on. Swiss prosecutors accuse Qatar's BN Sports, specifically its CEO, Nasser Al-Kafali, of bribing ex-FIFA General Secretary Jerome Valke for World Cup TV rights. And this story has been circulating the last few days, and uh, uh, it seems to have a, a lot of legs to it, so we'll see where it ends up. And then last but not least, uh, just a brief review of YouTube TV, and I've been testing it for the last couple of weeks uh, from a soccer pers perspective. So far, I'm unimpressed. Uh, there are not a lot of channels to choose from, especially for soccer fans. So there's no B in Sports, no Univision Networks, um, no Fox Sports Networks, except for Fox Soccer Plus, which you have to pay extra for. Now, I love the interface of YouTube TV, uh, but the DVR is inconsistent. Sometimes it has worked um, recording the programs it was supposed to. Sometimes it doesn't remember where I left off. Um, and if I've I only watched part of the program, it'll stop me off at the, be the beginning again. Uh, the only thing it's good for, in my opinion, is watching live local TV, which is what my family has been using it for uh, mostly during the past week, during the trial. So for me, it's not a uh, re recommended buy unless you're looking for something that um, you like your ABCs, CBSs, NBCs of the world and want to watch a lot of those programming and perhaps don't have access to it through Fubo or Sling. It might be a nice kind of add-on to consider. Still, I believe it's about $30 to $35 a month, uh, and for that, I'm not recommending it. So long way to go, and who knows, um, in terms of the future, maybe uh, YouTube TV will add more soccer-specific channels, but for right now, it's not a good fit. So, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV ratings. And uh, in terms of the numbers that we have so far, which is not the final numbers, the final numbers will be at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, Any of these numbers that jump out at you? 
Yeah, I thought there were some pretty depressed figures this week for for football, uh, English football, the German, the Bundesliga games, yeah, even a fewer viewers for the NWSL final than I expected, although it was still 147,000 uh, fewer viewers for Atleti and, and Barca than I expected. I have to say, I think that there was a hangover from the U.S. Uh, loss to Trinidad and Tobago and uh, elimination from the World Cup among kind of some casuals. I expect they'll be back in a week or two, but there are definitely the number that really sticks out for me is the 668 uh, on NBC over the year for Watford Arsenal. That, that's a low number uh, by NBC over the year standards. And, and again, I think it, it was uh, it, it had a lot to do with uh, with what we saw on Tuesday night in Trinidad. Yeah, and Watford, for me, has actually been one of the most entertaining teams uh, this Premier League season. Oh, yeah. Marco Silva's got them playing great football. And not only just not only great football, but he seems to have a rotation of players that are, uh, that are excelling. Absolutely. Let's move on to listen to Mailbag. Uh, the first uh, comment is from Mike D uh, via Twitter. And he says, uh, the main reason why Facebook Live sucks for streaming soccer is the format. This friends sitting around discussing the game format is absolutely awful, unwatchable. If this is the future of sports media and how we are going to consume sports going forward, then this really sucks. At least with illegal streams, you get some proper commentators. You're better off clicking on one of those. Now, Mike, uh, one of the things to remember, too, with uh, the UEFA Champions League is that you can watch it through uh, Fox Soccer Match Pass, which has the, the, the original native real commentators. So even for games that are on, on Facebook Live, you can still watch them on uh, Fox Soccer Match Pass for the real thing. But I agree with you in terms of uh, the commentary. And, and at the end of the day, too, you have to remember, too, that Fox Sports is getting paid to do this uh, through Facebook. So there's probably part of that, too, where Fox feels that they have to, you mean, present the whole game and have uh, someone talking about the, 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 the game from the beginning to the end in, ter- in terms of that, rather than just handing it off to a commentator. Um, so maybe that's, that's part of the equation. But um, I'm on the same page in terms of uh, Mike. And I think Facebook Live, in terms of the streaming, it's, it's going to be a fad and it's not going to last that long in terms of streaming soccer games. Next up is Wilson via email. He says, hey, guys, great fan of the, your podcast and always looking forward to listen uh, to, to shows weekly and every single minute and second of them. Uh, how can Fox soccer channels have the rights to the World Cup, regardless of the U.S. men's national team had qualified or not? And don't bother to have, to have at least a daily, not even a weekly talk show about the beautiful game. I was browsing the other day and came up uh, seeing that the herd with Colin Cowherd had a three hours gap, and so does Skip and Shannon on Undisputed. But yet again, the growth of interest and even acknowledging stuff like that are mainly huge and, and important. Hopefully, if you guys raise the issues, they'll listen because I feel like they are always that they always do uh, whenever you two uh, put your foot down. What do you think, Kartik? Yeah, I don't know why uh, they haven't made an effort. We had this show with Julie Stewart-Binks uh, four years ago. It's been four years. Um, Fox Soccer Daily, was that called? Well, I can't remember what it was Fox called. Fox Soccer Report. Fox it, Soccer Report. Yeah, so since they took her show off the air, they haven't had anything. And I don't know why uh, uh, they're, they, they have such a large programming and rights commitment to the sport, but they're not doing anything to promote the sport. And in fact, right after they're done with soccer games, this is what I loved about Lifetime. Uh, uh, as I said, with the NWSL all season, particularly the final, um, Fox gets right off the air when they're done with, with soccer matches mm-hmm. and goes on to, to – 
talk uh, uh, talk programs, shout shows, whatever, talking about the NFL. Um, they they don't seem as invested in this as as we'd hope they would be. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things because that, uh, even if they did decide to do one, uh, I would be hard pressed to to probably watch it because I, I don't I'm not confident that they could even do a good job at doing a daily show or even a weekly show um, in terms of trying to be honest and trying to cover the Wolves game from a variety of different angles. I don't think they have the talent necessary. Um, you would think that they would be doing that in terms of trying to raise the bar, but uh, I, I don't know. It, it, everything that Fox does is really frustrating, and that's just another example. Um, moving on, Kartik, uh, Sean Tierney, uh, or Tierney uh, on uh, worldsoccertalk.com in the comments section, he posted, your points about the U.S. men's national team players coming home was nothing more than a money grab by MLS. It put bums in seats, in, uh, in MLS seats, and helped boost their TV ratings to have national team players within their ranks. Little Billy, Sally, and Kartik's all wearing Bradley's U.S. men's national team top uh, can now see him play for TFC, uh, instead of fighting for spots in teams in places like Italy, England, or Germany, they choose to come back home where they could be marquee players. Be in the starting 11, I mean, who would dare sit Captain America? Instead of fighting and working hard, Jürgen was right. Although many won't admit it, coming and playing within MLS was a poor choice. The easy, softer way through the, uh, for these players, and it showed in how they struggled to kill off um, B teams from TNT. No, dis- no disrespect to them, but our starting 11 should have crushed those kids, but could barely be asked to play. Yeah, I agree with Sean. Sean's a local here uh, in the Wellington area, local to you, actually, Chris, not to me, but not as much to me, but a big Fort Lauderdale Strikers fan, Newcastle United fan. So I agree with every word he's written here. I have to say, got to remind folks that it was a TNT B team. It was a TNT experimental team that Dennis Lawrence uh, put together for this uh, um this fr- uh, it wasn't a friendly. I mean, this qualifier and beat the, and beat the United States with it. So I know it's something that makes you proud in a way, Chris. Uh, Dennis Lawrence, having been a longtime player for Swansea and, and for Wrexham, also right. He played played in Wales for a long time. Yeah, mostly for Wrexham. I think uh, that that's kind of where I remember him more so for for. But uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on, Jason McCullers uh, on face. Um, WorldSoccerTalk.com posted this one. He says, boys, great podcast about the U.S. men's national team missing the World Cup. You all always speak the truth and don't care what the establishment thinks. I love it. If I may uh, interject uh, myself into the conversation, I believe the problems with U.S. soccer is a cultural one. Much like in business, culture starts at the top and runs down through the organization. In order to change a culture... There must be a change at the top, which means Galati needs to be replaced first and foremost. Uber is a prime example of changing leadership to change culture. The question now is who? I, for one, think it would be best to have someone who understands sports but doesn't come from the soccer world. Look at Southampton's chairman, uh, Ralph Kruger. He spent his entire career in hockey before being persuaded to join an EPL squad. A great leader can lead no matter the industry. Having a proven leader from the outside can be just the thing U.S. soccer needs. I would very much like to get your take on this. Maybe it could be a talking point for a future podcast. Always a pleasure, gents. Yeah, I um, I agree with the idea of having someone from the outside, potentially a, a business leader, someone who's uh, in the industry. I'm not sure about bringing in someone from another sport anymore. I think we've done a lot of that. 
and it hasn't helped us. I mean, it, it's it's further Americanized. We we have this American exceptionalism argument, which is part of Lawless's rant, right at halftime of the Red Bull game, Red Bull Atlanta game. Well, I, I think we have this feeling that. Uh, the people who come from American sports have this very kind of Americanized. They're not used to competing in a global marketplace. So, uh, but I, but people who come from industry, come from business, come from corporations are. So I think that I would go that direction rather than hiring someone from the NFL or the NBA or NHL. Uh, maybe if someone's worked with USA hockey or USA cycling uh, or USA cricket, you know, these sports where the U.S. is, uh, is, um, in a, in a much more global competitive atmosphere yep. and aren't dominating the sport uh, USA hockey is probably a good example. And, and he mentioned Kruger came from the hockey world. So yeah, I guess I would take someone from hockey. I would not take someone from American football or baseball. Mm-hmm. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Oh, uh, USA rugby or something like that. Uh, USA rugby is another one. That's another yeah. good one. Uh, Jason Maragonis uh, via email says, uh, do you think MLS can or should put some type of ban or restriction on signing CONCACAF players? Uh, besides the Mexicans. I realize these players are relatively cheap in terms of salary and help raise the level of play in MLS, but there's no question that MLS has helped these players strengthen their national squads, and uh, one of the end results is knocking the U.S. out of the World Cup. Shouldn't they spend a little bit more money to scout second- or third-tier South Americans or Europeans like uh, Alejandro Moreno, uh, Freddie Montero, uh, Joel uh, Limper, or Bradley Wright Phillips instead? No, I, I think it's good that we have so many CONCACAF players in MLS, NASL, and USL. The, all these leagues are – we were just having a conversation in the press box yesterday at the Cosmos-Puerto Rico FC match about uh, the uh, the number of uh, really good Caribbean players on Charleston, on the Charleston Battery as they go into the USL playoffs, and how they've been able to get around um, the need to compete salary-wise for American players, a salary – keep going up even at the lower division level by going to the Caribbean. I think you would start putting teams out of business, honestly, if they didn't have the option of signing CONCACAF guys. Also, uh, of non-Mexican CONCACAF guys, also I have to say it's important uh, for those ethnic communities. It's really important when you have teams in, in, in South Florida and in Central Florida to have guys from the Caribbean on your team and guys from Central America. Same thing in Texas. Uh, it's important for the marketing, and I think it's, uh, it's good for the league and the level of play. It, improve, it should be improving the American players yeah. that they're having to play against hungry players from the Caribbean. I just, as we're recording this podcast, I just came back from training um, for Boca Raton FC and our hungriest players, the guys who are fighting the hardest, I hope our players aren't listening to this because some of the American guys might be offended, but our hungriest guys are coming from Jamaica and Trinidad and then from uh, South America, right? Or Central America. Uh, The the guys who are coming from the American youth clubs, uh, they're not as hungry they're not playing they're not fighting as hard in uh in training and in coaches getting on them and uh we we need those guys from trinidad and jamaica to push them in even in training I, I'm, t- I'm telling you there is a cultural problem with with american players chris you probably see it all the time going yeah. to youth soccer matches and this is the the macro thing when we're talking about what we're talking about so i, I appreciate the question but no i keep those CONCACAF guys around they're they're really important to to raising the level I agree. It's uh, one of those things I think competition is always good. And uh, uh, Hugo Perez, actually, I think it was in Soccer America, was it today or yesterday, was mentioning about how 
for the U.S. Uh, men's U-17 and U-19 teams, these players, actually even at the, the youth level, these players should be playing um, against or with uh, adult men rather than playing against the, the same age group. Because it really kind of pushes, yeah. makes you try harder, push, pushes, pushes your levels up in terms of trying to be I've heard that from so many people. Um... I was, in fact, talking to a U15 coach today, uh, this morning at training, came out to our poker training, saying it's becoming a problem that at the U15 level, every coach is stacking their team uh, with with uh, 14-year-old kids. It would be great if there were some kids who were 11 and 12 moved up to the U15 level, so they learned to play against uh, uh, players who are physically more built out, physically more skilled at this point, more technical, and have been around longer. And it's the whole thing. This is why uh, there are people, when I've reported on the USL thing this week about the reserve team saying, oh yeah, let's get rid of these MLS reserve teams. We don't want them in USL. We don't want them playing competitive games. It is so important for those kids coming out of MLS academies. And we talked a lot about MLS academies the last 10 days, Chris. It is so important for them to be getting games against players that are older than them um, and are fighting to, uh, uh, in competitive matches to accomplish something. So it's important for the reserves from the New York Red Bulls, most of whom are young kids. We've seen Tyler Adams now really break into the first team future star for the u.s to play against the tampa bay rowdies who have marcel schaefer and joe cole and guys who are international stars on that club because that's the only way they're going to get better so um that's why another reason why i know there's a lot of ideology and advocacy for leagues and a lot of nsl fans are like oh yeah these usl reserve teams they need to they need or they need to be dropped into a reserve league no i don't want a separate reserve league i want reserve kids uh developing reserve players playing against older professional players. Otherwise, we're never going to get anywhere in this country. Next up is Raymond Orozco through Facebook, and he says, uh, I heard Matt Doyle say on MLS Extra Time Radio that these are the best young players ever in MLS right now. I've been watching MLS since 1996, and I don't see a young Brian McBride playing for the Columbus Crew. I don't see a young Landon Donovan playing for the San Jose Earthquakes. I don't see a young Josh Wolfe and Demarcus Beasley playing for the Chicago Fire. And I don't see a young Clint Dempsey and Taylor Twellman play for the New England Revolution or an Eddie Johnson playing for the Dallas Burn. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I, I think the point Matt Doyle was making, uh, I like Matt Doyle, actually. I read him all the time. Uh, I go to the MLS website often just to read his articles because he, he's very analytical. I think he might be talking about the volume of players. But if he's call, comparing um, Tyler Adams as a young winger to Demarcus Beasley, no, he's not at that level. If he's uh, uh, comparing whatever striker uh, to a, a Josh Wolf or, or Taylor Tolman, he's not, he's not at that level. In fact, I will tell you, Josh Wolf, when he came out of South Carolina and played for the Chicago Fire the very first season, the fire existed. He was like a whole nother level of what we'd seen in MLS. It was a third year of MLS. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned Josh Wolf. No, there's no one, no one quite at his level among young American players in MLS now. Uh, but maybe Raymond has cherry picked extreme examples. Wolf, uh, Beasley, McBride, Donovan. But again, if we're not going to create, uh, players of that caliber, um, then we're not going to make it, right? We need we need more Brian McBrides. We need more Landon Donovans. We need more Josh Wolfs and uh, Taylor Twelmans out there, and Mark, Marcus Beasley's. Um, to me, it's it's pretty telling. I mean, we don't have guys. Also, I'll just address this as a little bit off topic. We don't have guys who have DeMarcus Beasley's work ethic. He is the hardest working, uh, most fit American player probably in history. 
and uh, part of Jurgen Klinsmann's uh, thought process and uh, Bruce Arena's thought process about continuing to call Beasley in at his age, at 34, 35, you know, when he's already passed it, when all the guys he came up in youth soccer with are already retired from the game, the Bobby Convies and the Landon Donovans and the Iguchi Onyewus, his, his thinking, uh, both Arena's and Klinsmann's, was his work ethic, his fitness level, his mindset, his mentality can rub off on the younger players. Well, I don't see that it has. I mean, they should be emulating DeMarcus Beasley, and they're not. So, again, cultural problems. Okay, just a few more to go. Uh, the next one is Scott from McKellen, Texas, and he says uh, through email, he says, as a diehard U.S. men's national team fan, I actually wasn't shocked we didn't make it out of the hex. Disgusted and disappointed, yes. Surprised, no. I did agree with Taylor Twelman's rant about the pay-for-play problem. Maybe that's because I'm scraping together uh, $1,200 per season for my son to be in the local soccer academy, and I'm, I'm hoping the price will go down. I'm far from wealthy and have to enlist help from family to help pay the tuition, but it has been good for him. In the end, there are a myriad of problems with U.S. soccer, and nothing can be fixed overnight. So this summer, I will sit down, put the TV on, Telemundo, and cheer on the wife's team, go Mexico, and possibly Iceland. Let me move on, just because we're running out of time. Next one up is Shai. Uh, he posted this uh, through email. He says, hey, guys, just want to let you know that I love the pod and listen every night while working the graveyard shift. Uh, not the Apple kind of guy, so note some of us use other platforms or apps. For me, it's the Player FM podcast app found in the Android Play Store. Uh, anyway, I'm from Trinidad and thoroughly enjoyed beating the U.S. this past week. Uh, using mostly a young reserve team and fourth-string goalkeeper. So I tuned in to all the podcasts I could find willing to share their misery on USA's uh, dismal performance in Cuba, uh, Trinidad. Considering I was only nine on November 19, 1989, when the USA beat TNT in Port of Spain by 1-0 to qualify for Italy 1990, knocking us out in the process and leaving the entire country in pure agony, I hold no remorse for what we now call payback. It still feels sweet, even though I am now a... And even though I now live in North Carolina. Through your pod suggestion, I am now a Sling Blue subscriber. And even though I love the service, I don't like having to pay an extra $10 per month for being sports since La Liga is my league of choice. It doesn't seem right if you decide to go with Sling Orange. You only pay $5 a month extra, uh, but only are allowed one stream versus the three on Sling Blue. What's up with that? I do hope the U.S. bounce back from this, however, uh, but there is something we all need to remember about this beautiful game. It's preparation and not a population that brings results uh, together. Sounds familiar. And then he says also, uh, thanks for the pod, guys, and keep up the wonderful work. I, w I will mention in terms of the, spling, uh, the sling reference, um, one thing to consider, depending on what you're watching or wanting to watch in terms of channels you can go with sling world sports which is a separate uh, sling service and that's ten dollars a month and that includes being sports being sports in espanol and a few other channels too so if you're just like for example interested in la liga that's something to consider without having to get sling blue 
and without having to consider Sling Orange for all the ESPN channels. But again, um, it all depends on what you're looking for. But I agree in terms of the pricing. That's a shame that uh, the add-on is uh, is kind of expensive if you do, do get Sling Let me r- real quickly mention for Shy. Uh, hopefully, if you're in North Carolina, you're close to Raleigh, the Raleigh area, you could see North Carolina FC play. Uh, Kareem Moses, who was on the squad, he pl- actually played in the game against Mexico, the previous game in the Hex for Trinidad and Tobago, and was on the team for the U.S. game. Uh, he is a star for North Carolina FC. So you have a, a local Trini player, a very good one, and go out and support him. The last email is from Anthony Bello, and he says, I'm wondering whether Derek Ray has done studio work before, because I was thinking maybe he could be the replacement for Rebecca Lowe when she goes to the Olympics, the Winter Olympics in February, or they could fly Arlo over for that time and have Derek Ray call the games on those weeks. Yeah, this is a good question. I mean, I think this is a big thing we're pondering. Derek Ray, I think, would be very good in the studio. I can see him having the presence uh, to handle that. Uh, I don't know what the availability of Steve Bauer is, right? I mean, he seems to be doing more and more work for for, for the BBC and more and more work for Premier League Productions also. Uh, If he's available, I think that would be the first choice, as it was the last time she was away, which was on maternity leave. But uh, I don't know. We'll we'll have to uh, explore this further. I know folks want to know, and NBC usually doesn't let us know until very close to the time. So we'll probably give you some uh, news in January on this. Yeah, and Derek Ray has done Press Pass in the past before on ESPN, so he has yes. hosted shows. So, so I, think that, I think that's the great thing about having Derek Ray is that uh, NBC could, if he wanted to, have him uh, be the host in the studio, and I'm sure he'd do a great job. Or, like uh, Anthony said, they could even bring Arlo uh, over to the studio, perhaps, or, um, or put Liam McHugh in, in, in charge there. Um, but Derek Ray does offer a few different options that NBC, I'm sure, will be considering. Yeah, I, th- I think the issue with Liam McHugh is that there have been days I've noticed or I've been told because I don't watch the NHL, but I've been told he's worked like nine hours straight because he's done Premier League and NHL and they've been back to back. So I don't know if he's an option for every night, every day while she's gone. He, he certainly will continue probably to do. I, I think he does the Monday games just uh, every week anyway. So maybe he'll he'll fill in in some other roles, too. All right, so if you have any comments, questions, feedback, uh, you name it, if you want to disagree with us or, or agree with us on anything, send us an email uh, to web at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, Twitter is at WSoccerTalk, and then Facebook is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and we would be glad to read those out on air. So a feature topic of the week, we've been talking about this quite a bit uh, on this show in terms of teasing it a little bit, but... Uh, Karthik, I'll start off, but uh, I would say this this past week, to me, illustrates everything that's wrong with soccer in the U.S. Uh, First, you have Sunil Galati refusing to step down as U.S. Soccer Federation president after the darkest day or darkest week in U.S. soccer history. And his failure to take accountability, to me, was, was really sickening. It really upset me. Second, we saw on Sunday night how Fox Sports refused to say anything negative about the USSF leadership in a very controlled, scripted, and to be honest with you, a really weak rant by Alexi Lalas, instead of giving honest um, opinions or speaking from the heart. And I think in many ways, too, I I didn't have a lot of respect for Alexi. Well, I, I did have respect for Alexi before this, but at this point, I have absolutely no respect for him as a broadcaster in terms of just... Uh, Parroting, it seems, um, what USSF would want, which is essentially that uh, uh, no change, we just keep things the way they are, and, and maybe 
Things it, take time, right? right? The future looks the future is promising, and let's yeah. just let's just wait. Things will sort themselves out. Third, Kartik, my, my final thing here too, in terms of uh, the things that happened this past week, we learned that MLS, and this has been going on for months now, uh, is going to shut down, or looks like looks like they're going to shut down Columbus Crew, and start up a new team in Austin, Texas, unless taxpayers are willing to fu- to build or fund to build a brand new stadium in downtown Columbus. Now, each of these three things is separate in terms of um, Fox kind of basically propaganda in many ways, just kind of saying what uh, USSF wants, Galati refusing to sit, uh, to stand down, MLS in terms of really, I mean, Columbus Crew to me is one of the, I guess, one of the best examples of, a, of MLS in terms of from the beginning, uh, building a soccer-specific stadium which was touted as the first one in the United States and has been a trendsetter, a, a team that you can respect, even though uh, attendance-wise haven't been near what they had in the past. But all these th- three things came together. And my, in my opinion, all these th- three things show how tight the collusion is between USSF, MLS, and Fox Sports. Because up until this point, you haven't had Fox Sports come out and say anything negative about uh, Galati. Um, running for uh, uh, running for presidency probably in February. Uh, meanwhile, ESPN, NBC, and other broadcasters have been very, very opinionated about this. Same thing with the Columbus Crew section, too, in terms of uh, the possibility there. For me, it seems to be that Alexi Lalas and, and Fox Sports have been very, very quiet or very, very defensive on that. And to me, it just shows how USSF, MLS, and Fox Sports are so far working together um, and, and the, it really exposed this. The Columbus thing is, uh, just getting back to one of the questions we got earlier, is why I don't want people from American sports running soccer in this country. Okay, I, 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 am, I don't think I can speak rationally about the Columbus situation. I'm very angry about it personally. I, I'm very upset about it. And I think if you're a soccer supporter of this country, given what that, that club has given this, this country, given what that supporters base has given this country, and given what that stadium has given this country, you should be protesting right now. If you go to a game this week, and in, in NASL, USL, or MLS, you should be protesting. You should be bombarding Fox with tweets. So I don't even want to talk about that issue. So let's talk about the, the first and second points you made, um, because I'm really angry about the Columbus thing, and I think anyone who knows me knows how upset I am, I am about it. And, and actually, Chris, I guess we should mention that it had come up on the podcast a few weeks ago, right? And I had said, yeah, I'd heard rumors, but I had laughed off those rumors. And part of me laughing off those rumors in retrospect was I knew they, there was probably some truth to them, but I so didn't want to face the possibility of that happening. Um, yeah, it, I, I, I just I, – yeah. I, I, it, it, it is connected, though, to Kartik, I think, because in many ways, I mean, really, Fox Sports represents uh, the, the narrative in terms of U.S. soccer, whether it's um, the national team or the uh, MLS, for the most part, in terms of, you I mean, they had the MLS doubleheader this past Sunday. So that was the most visible opportunity for somebody to come out and um, really kind of give their honest opinions and say, OK, you know, we're really upset about the situation about the U.S. national team uh, losing. Uh, but let's this, this talk about uh, what this means in terms of um, Sunil Galati and the leadership and whether there should be a change or not. But instead, they seem to be very much parroting what USSF would want. Same thing with the Columbus Crew incident. Is It'll be interesting to see this weekend on, on Fox Sports whether they come out and give some honest opinions about what they feel in terms of uh, whether they think this is a, a positive move or a negative move. 
and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not expecting them to have anything negative to say because they're yeah. simply – They're going to say, oh, it's not working in Columbus. The attendance has gone down. We know what the argument's going to be. Austin's a booming city. Uh, look, I mean, I, I also I, – I don't want to hate on fans in Austin, but you had your team taken for, stolen from you when they were in um, USL. You, you had this happen to you, and they moved to Orlando and then became uh, one of the top M- – MLS teams, right, at least in terms of uh, off the field and, and drawing attendance. And I know how Austin supporters uh, feel about that because I interacted with a lot of them when I worked at NASL, uh, and they had become San Antonio supporters because they didn't have a team at home anymore. They didn't have a team in their town. And um, I, I'm sure some of them are feeling guilty about it, but um, it's just it's, it, this is a horrible thing. We'll see how Fox couches it. I am expecting them to couch uh, the the propaganda, and they'll say, "Oh, well, it's too bad for the Columbus supporters." But uh, you know, maybe it'll even be worse with the company line. Well, you should have gotten more supporters out there. You should have uh, uh, pu- uh, pushed the politicians to build a a, new, uh, a newer, more modern stadium. I, I don't know how they'll they'll spin it, but let's talk about. Uh, Alexi Lawless's halftime rant and not just Alexi Lawless, but all of the Fox talent and personalities over the course of this uh, last week. They've had ample opportunities between MLS broadcasts, Bundesliga broadcasts and U17 broadcasts, Chris, to to talk to, to kind of feel the pulse of uh, of the audience, the pulse of American soccer fans and speak to them in a way which engages them and even if you want to give some sort of defense of uh, the status quo and of the U.S. Soccer Federation, there are there are points you have to concede given where we are. And you can't keep saying, oh, we're making progress. Uh, I know people are upset now, but we're making progress. Um, you know, I have to say this about Lawless. I think Lawless keeps, cares deep, deeply about this program. Mm-hmm. I think it was an inauthentic rant which was written for him by someone at Fox Sports uh, in probably in cahoots with uh, Sunil's uh, henchman at the Federation. Because I don't think that's – I don't think Alexei Lawless really believes that. I, I wouldn't be, su- I wouldn't be surprised. To, to actually he, – he's being forced to deliver that, uh, and he's got this credibility, which is now uh, diminished because he delivered that and because of the way he's reacted since last Tuesday. I even said it when I had my back and forth after the article on World Soccer Talk calling him out that I I wrote over the weekend was basically, hey, we all respected you, Alexi, until Tuesday. Mm -hmm. What's going on? This isn't you. This is the same Alexi Lawless. Alexi Lawless used to be willing to call out um, when he was on ESPN. Now, this is the important point, probably. When he was on ESPN, was willing to call out things he saw in the U.S. performances that made him angry. I remember the Confederations Cup in 2009 before that rise and, and the Egypt game and, and, and onward. Those first two games, he was eviscerating. I mean, he was just so nasty to Bob Bradley, who, by the way, was a coach maybe he didn't like because he had fired him when he was a GM in MLS. Uh, and then Bob Bradley went on to become the national team coach and do a great job. And maybe Lawless wasn't very secure about that because he had fired him um, from a coaching job at, at, in New York. But um, – I don't know what this is. Do you think this is really him, or do you think this is Fox uh, telling him what to say? I think this is really him. I think it's um, – I, I don't think it was pre- written by anyone at, say, USSF or, or Fox or MLS. I think it's him writing it. But at the end of the day, he's not being honest with himself because I think in many ways when the U.S. and MLS is doing great and, and th- great things are happening, new stadiums opening up, new teams – uh, expanding throughout the United States, U.S. men's national team doing well in the World Cup, etc. 
then then it's easy to be rosy and, and talk about all the accomplishments and how the sport is growing. But for lack of a better word, for when, when the shit hits the fan in terms of MLS, in terms of going through some struggles um, on and off the pitch, especially with this Columbus crew, this kind of raises uh, that into into question. But more so in terms of the U.S. men's national team, when, it, when, when the team's not playing well, when the team doesn't qualify for a World Cup, which is a huge tragedy, then it, it really kind of uh, pinpoints Lalas's weak points. And, and that is, is that at the end of the day, he's very much a corporate man. He's going to look at, in terms of his bosses and his boss's bosses, looking at, at what, um, how to position himself. And the reality is, is that Fox uh, wants to keep Golati in power because they want to increase their chances of, of getting the, the 2026 World Cup and having that in North America because he knows if that happens, soccer has an opportunity to boom in this country like never before. And with Fox having the rights to that and with Alexi Lalas being the main person, um, the main spokesperson, the main talent uh, on the U.S. men's national side, he wants to make sure that that happens. And not only does he want to make sure that happens because that raises his profile, but also wants to make sure that Fox uh, will be televising that tournament on home soil. I mean, they'll be televising it no matter where it is, but if it's on home soil, that's going to mean probably millions and millions more money well, for Fox to generate. Right, well, I think it shows what a petty petty uh, person Sunil Gulati is, and, and I know this because I know a lot of people who know him, but um, I know I know his personality. He, uh, he he could very easily walk away and be given an ex-officio role, uh, a, uh, a president emeritus role now, uh, where and be in charge of the 2026 bid, uh, get a pat on the back, and, and be be able to still deliver that for the U.S., but he wants to still be, maintain power. He still wow. wants to maintain a control. So this is this is the problem. And, and again, I, I said it earlier in the show. I've talked to a lot of people who are in the last six days or so that are connected at the USSF level and at the uh, at, at the upper echelons of the sport in this country who are saying, you know, you guys on the grassroots, you guys in the media, you need to you need to keep the pressure up because he's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they'll remind me, look, Eric Winalda to these people is too toxic and too dangerous to be put in, put in office. And I've, of course, pushed back and said, look, the, the grassroots people I talk to, the people in the lower divisions, the people around youth soccer, the people around the Latinos I talk to, they're all for they're, they, they want Winalda badly. They think he's the only guy that can fix this, that has the guts to fix this. But I, I, I'm realistic. I'm pragmatic. I understand that it's going to be very difficult for Ronaldo to win. Um, but my point is, um, U.S. Uh, I think Fox as a network, uh, irrespective of the fact that Ronaldo works there now currently, um, Fox as a network has thrown in with the USSF and with Galati with the premise of 20, uh, 2026 uh, since they got that rollover FIFA, and I think they're going to do whatever they can to protect the status quo and not upset the apple cart at all so that they protect their economic interest and investment in that 2026 World Cup. I think you've nailed it, Chris. That is it. Well, one of my other concerns is that uh, this kind of soccer triad between USSF, MLS, and Fox is how they're able to control the narrative uh, in terms of the, the, the soccer news cycle. And you've got Grant Wall, who works for Fox Sports as a soccer reporter, who's breaking news on Fox Sports, and they're able to spin it whichever way they, they feel uh, best to do so. So, for example, Grant Wall this week talking about how uh, Landon Donovan is considering a role, uh, a role to run for USSF president. 
I have to wonder, Kartik, if he's being floated as a potential candidate by someone at USSF that's feeding Grant Wall the story to see what the reaction is among the U.S. soccer uh, not just the media, but oh no, no, press. everything, every single thing Grant Wall has put out since full time at Trinidad and Tobago. I don't want to pick on Grant because he's a really good reporter, but there are other things going on here. Um, have been trial balloons. There isn't a there isn't a legitimate story he's put out, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it, well, and in fact, I, I again, and the pre court thing, uh, he was the first guy to break it, which I found interesting too, because that's again shows you because this had been floating around for a while, and Austin specifically has been floating around. For, I've known about it, the potential for, for at least six weeks. I want to say maybe two months. Um, it was before Irma for sure. I think that they, they float trial balloons through him and, 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 uh, and go from there. And Landon, Julie Foudy was a trial balloon. Um, Landon Donovan is a trial balloon. Look, there is um, – I don't want to build Eric Winalda up too much because I think there are obviously um, – you could, you could push back against any, any argument. But there is some sort of fear of him right. out well, there. I, and, um, I, I, I mean to me, I, I can imagine USSF thinking about this in terms of Winalda being such a fear and uh, thinking about what can they do to stop Winalda from running – uh, if not, if not running, at least uh, stopping from winning, especially. But so putting Landon Donovan in there would be completely would completely neutralize Winalda's yeah. chances of winning. It Correct. would satisfy USSF uh, and MLS and Fox. You've got uh, Landon Donovan, who's going to be, I mean, one of the, the top World Cup commentators next summer um, at the World Cup. So having Landon Donovan in there, and, and Landon probably doesn't even realize this, but it's probably one of those things, almost like a puppet. Uh, even though Landon Donovan's a very smart guy, I'm sure has some great ideas. But for USSF, they've got to be like licking their lips in terms of having Landon Donovan run and then working closely with him, I mean, Sunil and others, to make sure that uh, nothing changes, not, nothing drastically, versus Eric Winalda. And I can see Winalda looking at everything, shaking things up, saying, okay, let's look at the calendar. And that's been one of his big arguments. Let's, let's look at uh, pay-to-play. Let's look at – you, go, you da- go down the laundry list. He would be looking at so many different things to shake things up that it would terrify MLS. It would terrify USSF um, and, and Fox too. I mean it could change everything in terms of the way uh, the U.S. soccer works. And at the end of the day, actually it probably would be better because in I mean, a decade or, or two decades, it probably would mean that the U.S. is producing uh, better quality players, uh, having a larger sc- scouting network, uh, going more into inner, inner cities. A lot of the ideas that Winaldo would have – and I, too, have some question marks about Ronaldo running and, and whether he'd be the best person. But at this point in time, I'm just very fearful that uh, Fox, using uh, Grant Wall, is really pushing a Landon Donovan narrative. And that he, if he does run, uh, that I can see Sunil kind of stepping back or stepping aside and then letting Landon run for it and then working behind the scenes in terms I, of feeding him. I, I'm not going to mention the, the name, uh, but there is one media member who has told me privately that they won't uh, they won't support the U.S. national team anymore and promote the USSF if Winaldo doesn't become president because they feel like they've been you know used all these years um, and, and that there's a lot of condescension out there. So um, I, I think there are there are people who are more independent minded in the media, people who are uh, used to covering European football and Latin America football who feel feel the opposite they feel like well okay if, if Winalda doesn't win and it's Galati or Donovan or one you know some inside per, uh, candidate like that Stephen Gans that we are uh, just going to ignore U.S. soccer we'll cover the Bundesliga the 
Premier League, uh, the, the, uh, Liga MX and, and, and the league, leagues in South America, and, and uh, you know, they can have their they can have their little thing. So there is actually also a counter or, uh, a counter movement going on, but it's very interesting because you see media members, and I guess I include myself in this because I'm a member of the media, but I've, I've very clearly become an advocate and uh, am taking sides and I'm promoting causes the last 10 days. Uh, first, USSF, now Columbus, uh, uh, and, and uh, sticking with the fans in Columbus. Um, I don't think any of us are, are, are really, we, we, we all seem to now have kind of a dog in this fight. Mm-hmm. And the thing that worries me is Fox, as a network, has uh, such an economic interest at stake tied to the USSF and uh, tied to the World Cup bid in 2026 that uh, we're not going to get any objective reporting out of them uh, during this race. Yep. Uh, assuming, you know, Eric Winalda uh, has to uh, move, uh, take the leave of absence and, and, and run, I don't know that they're going to be particularly uh, fair on him. And they'll say things, you know, they'll probably catch in a way like, yeah, you know, our colleague, we, we, we're going to welcome him back when he's back and that sort of thing. But they won't, they won't really be fair on his, his point of view on issues. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing, though, too. I mean, the power that Fox has in terms of uh, Grant Wall reporting a lot of these, this news, uh, in terms of Alexi Lalas um, basically spinning it uh, in favor of USSF or, or uh, MLS, and then, um, I mean, the public in terms of them having the rights. So they can really control the narrative and really push their, their agenda uh, in making probably Landon Donovan uh, run for this race and, and probably have a good chance of winning it. The other thing, Kartik, is, is just imagine if, um, if ESPN had the rights to the World Cup in terms of how people like uh, Jeremy Sharp or uh, Bob Lee would be cov- covering this. This is really, to me, more of a news yeah. politics um, event, really, that, than it is kind of soccer-specific. But- well, that, that's the other thing I was going to mention. I'm glad you brought it up. Because I don't think Fox... You know, we're being hard on Fox's agenda here, but ESPN, if they had the rights, might have the same agenda, but they don't have a news division. ESPN, we saw during the Euros how they're able to pivot into a news mode, into a reporting mode. I've never seen Fox be able to do that in an event. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just don't think – I think it's kind of a, a bit of a frat boy uh, uh, insider culture there to where they don't have that capability or that 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 – ability to pivot or that ability to keep an editorial side um, that covers news and covers what are essentially political events. The USSF is, I've come from a background in politics, as I think most of our listeners know, the USSF and this election and everything that goes on around soccer in this country is more political than than politics. It's more political than the election campaigns I've run for statewide candidates in Florida. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Um, But I think that's the way it is in most countries, right? They're FAs and they're, and they're football leagues. So um, ESPN has a separate ability with guys like Gab Marcotti and Jeremy Schapp and Bob Lee to report news and keep that. I mean, there's some opinion in there, but keep it kind of separate from the overall larger scale investigation. Now, I've heard people you know, say ESPN has been so hard on FIFA uh, with Jeremy Schapp's reporting because they lost the World Cup rights and they wouldn't have done that had they still had the World Cup rights. I don't believe that's the case. There are people who make that argument, but the people who make that argument have to realize then Fox isn't going to be hard on anyone if they're, if they're applying the same standard. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's one of those things. I think it's Fox's uh, prerogative. I mean, if they want to do what they're doing, they can. I mean, they're they're allowed to. I mean, that's their business. They're protecting their, their business interests. No, it's perfectly fair. I think it's just that the the, the consumer needs to know mm-hmm. they're they're not getting uh, they're 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 not getting the kind of uh, analysis and give and take that they are in other places. I said at the beginning of the show, Seb Salazar to me is the star of the last ten days on American television. Uh, yeah, you watch Salazar, uh, uh, you're getting a whole different account and a whole different level of discussion than you do if you watch Rob Stone. I mean, no, no, no offense towards Rob Stone. So if you, if you want a balanced perspective and want to be able to think about these things critically and independently, uh, understand what Fox is presenting and, and you need to get other points of view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, our listeners hopefully will see right through what uh, what Fox is doing, and, and in terms of MLS and USSF, in terms of all of these th- these things that are happening, it is very much a uh, political mind game. So, so keep an eye out for that. All right, Kartik. So, uh, if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. Speaking of reviews, we just got one uh, from uh, actually thanks to Away Goals Matter who posted this review on iTunes recently. He says, I watch a lot of soccer on TV, and these guys give you all the info you need. They focus on TV coverage as well as upcoming changes to coverage of the game on the networks. Their website will also give you info on all the games which are televised or streamed in the U.S., five stars out of five. So thank you so much for that review. Uh, feel free to post your reviews to on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Kartik, where can listeners find you on the Internet to stay on top of um, your appearances, etc.? KKFLA737 on Twitter is the easiest place. You'll uh, find me uh, all the time there. All right. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And Kartik, what, what can they do? They can enjoy their football. was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 